I'm Dr. Brian Goldman, host of the CBC podcast, The Dose. Each week, we answer health topics in a smart and sometimes counterintuitive way you won't hear anywhere else. Like, what's the least amount of exercise I can do to get the benefits? Which psychedelics can improve my mental health? And how can I check for cancer if I don't have a family doctor? Top experts help me bring you what you need to know in plain language in about 20 minutes. Find The Dose on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. So the best vacation I've taken in Canada, I would say uh, Prince Edward Island. Point Pelly, Souk River on Vancouver Island. Montreal, Tilbury. Hi, I'm Ian Hennemansing in Vancouver. Welcome to Cross Country Checkup, the podcast. When I went to the CN Tower, I was scared and a little bit nervous, but I was excited to go with my family. We were like over the clouds and like almost over all of the clouds. Our question, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? I really love going to Halifax in the summertime. It feels like a really different culture from where I am in Toronto. The best vacation I've taken in Canada is to a small town called Campbell River, BC. Some of the best whale watching I've ever done was there. It's absolutely stunning. The best vacation I ever had is going to Blue Mountain. It was the best time ever. Forget planes, trains, and automobiles. I'm thinking the quintessential Canadian vacation movie could be called Small SUVs, Kayaks, and Motorcycles. You'll see what I mean when you hear three guests we'll be connecting with. They have great stories about treks across Canada, and so do our callers. On this Labor Day weekend, the unofficial end of summer, let's savor the nostalgia. Our question, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? In the last half hour, we'll talk to an extreme traveler who's riding his dirt bike from coast to coast in search of the best Canadian cuisine. I'm Ian Hanemansing in Vancouver. From CBC Radio, this is Checkup, the podcast. Cross-country checkups live broadcast from September 3rd, 2023. Lots of calls from people who have lots of stories to tell us about trips. And let's start with Philip Mahler, who's in Guelph, Ontario. Hi, Philip. What's your story of, of your best vacation, Canadian vacation ever? Oh, that was easy. Uh... For me, last year, uh, on July 1st, we, my family and I decided to drive from Guelph, Ontario, out to Kluwani National Park. Wow. Which is in, which is in the Yukon. Mm-hmm. Um, so basically, there was still some travel restrictions going on. Uh, we were thinking about going to Florida or Cuba or something. And uh, I was inspired to do this from a CBC show, actually, about four or five years ago. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> And so I've been rattling around in my head since then. And I thought, you know, my kids are the perfect age, two daughters aged uh, 10 and 14 at the time. So we just said, let's do this, let's plan this. And yeah, had one big epic road trip. Yeah, sounds, sounds fantastic. I'm sure there were many highlights, but describe one of them for us. Uh, yeah, the whole trip was amazing. We still talk about it. I would say... Uh, for us, and especially my youngest daughter, with all the wildlife in not so much Yukon, but northern BC, Fort Nelson area, it was just, we had a list of all the animals we wanted to see, and we checked all of them off. Just mm-hmm. uh, amazing wildlife. Uh, yeah. 
how long did it take you to get to the the national park from Guelph? Oh my! Uh, it was five days of twelve to fifteen hour drives. Whoa! Um, so it was rough on everybody, <laughs> um, but we were we were determined. And when we we took a rented a jeep up, and uh, yeah, I think the guy was a little surprised when we returned it with <laughs> twelve thousand kilometers on it, but. Did you have unlimited mileage on the rental? We did, and I have a family friend that works for that company, so I kind of double-checked. I was like, is unlimited mileage actually mean that? And he, he said, yeah, that does, so okay. Yeah. <laughs> so you said that yeah. this is something that, that well, that was inspired by something you heard on CBC Radio, but you'd been thinking about it for about five years. So, again, I'm sure there are lots of things here, but but, but get, tell me a story of, of what it was that enchanted you about just wanting to go on this road trip. And, and before you went, uh, okay, yeah. what, what was it yeah. that kind of piqued your interest? Okay. Uh, the show was about four or five years ago, and it was about a, a biologist, I think, of South African background, um, who described when he moved, his family moved here from South Africa, and they did a similar trip. Mm-hmm. And that inspired him to to go into his field and so I think it was a lot to do with the kids, my kids at that age and showing them the vastness of the country and just how it, I mean, I'm still amazed how it changes from Southern Ontario out to the Northern Ontario, the prairies, just amazing. I love it. Even the prairies, I love like just the flatness and mm-hmm. yeah, it was just incredible. We still talk about it all the time and reminisce. Yeah, that's, that's terrific. You know, I've driven from Vancouver to uh, Drumheller, and I've driven from Halifax to Hamilton. Uh, but there's still, I mean, as long as those two drives are, you know, if you look at a map, there's a huge part of Canada I have flown over, but not driven, uh-huh. not driven through. And and so, you know, all the things you've said kind of already answer this question. But but let me ask you more directly this: uh, for somebody who's listening um, and uh, has never contemplated driving up to Yukon or Northwest Territories, wherever they happen to be, it might be Guelph where you live, it might be Vancouver where I live, what would you say to them to inspire them to, to take that trip? Oh boy, good question. Uh, inspire them to take the trip. Uh, boy. Why should I drive to, to, uh, to, to, to Yukon? Uh, basically just to get a sense of, of the country. I mean, it's just so, so amazing. It just changes mm-hmm. all the time. Just yep. to see how different people live, like especially in southern Ontario, it seems like a different country. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't really seem like Canada. Yep. So to get up past Sudbury, see uh, northern Ontario, like, um, you know, on the border with Manitoba and how it changes and uh, just see the way people live. And we camped a lot on the way, so I know that's not everyone's cup of tea, but um, just to get acquainted with the country, I guess, and how the landscape changes and yeah, that's a good answer. Yeah. You know, we talk about diversity a lot in this country, and and one of the kinds of diversity is geographic, right? And so all of this, all the places you went uh, are are parts of Canada and uh, kind of need to experience that, especially at a ground level. Philip, thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Ian. 
You're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hanamancing. We are live in Vancouver on the CBC Radio and CBC News Networks. And uh, we're asking this week, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? Now, according to a poll, a Nanos poll that was taken back in July, about 60% of Canadians said they weren't interested in traveling internationally this summer. Cost was given as the big factor uh, in that decision. Uh, We want to get a perspective on how things turned out in terms of travel within Canada. So let's start by going to Beth Baskey. She's a travel advisor with Ellison Travel and Tours in London, Ontario. Hi, Beth. Hi, Ian. So the summer travel season, for the most part, is uh, is over at this point. Uh, For your clients who are based in Ontario, what would you say turned out to be the most popular Canadian destinations? Um, Honestly, I wouldn't say that there would be one popular destination this year. I feel that we've seen a lot of clients booking flights this year to really just travel to other parts of the country to visit family, family that they might have not seen since before COVID and just kind of catching up on some missed time. So um, this year, more than other years, I feel it's more just flights wanting to go and visit family. And what about inflation and costs? How do you think that that affected people's travel plans? Uh, it's certainly affecting travel in a lot of different ways. Um, however, since people haven't traveled for a few years, um, I feel that some people have kind of put aside a budget so that when traveling was back, they were able to do what they had been dreaming and hoping for the last few years. So this year, I haven't seen budget play as big of a factor as I would have thought. However, I don't think it'll be the same for next year. I think maybe this year people got the traveling out of their system and then might take a few more years off and and see what happens. And and give me an example of, of of a trip to, you know, an interesting part of Canada that you were part of this year as a travel agent, you know, a call you got, something that somebody wanted. Um, Yeah, I know there are lots of examples, but just give us one. So many examples. Um, Newfoundland, I'd say. We've had a lot of inquiries about Newfoundland, really popular destination. Um, There's a bunch of tour operators that offer lovely two-week comprehensive tours of Newfoundland and Labrador. So whether it be that or whether it be people feeling comfortable driving out on their own and exploring on their own, but Newfoundland is definitely on most Canadians' bucket list. Yeah, so that's interesting. So, you know, when I think of travel agents, I often associate it with booking a a trip that involves plane travel or maybe train travel. Um, But people who are driving were also engaging your services in what way? Absolutely. Well, we, we work through tour operators that actually put together driving holidays. So mm-hmm. yes, you can take your own vehicle, but they will suggest stops to make along the way, excursions to do, and you can pay prepay for everything. So really, you just know that you have to drive from here to here that day. And then the next day, you have it all mapped out for you. We're here live with Beth Baskey, a travel advisor with Ellison Travel and Tours in London, Ontario. Our question today, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? And our numbers on Cross Country Checkup are 1-888-416-8333. You can also connect with us at cbc.ca slash aircheck. Now, Beth, this is kind of an awkward question to ask a travel agent, but you're being a good sport. I know you've told our producer <laughs> you're willing to you're willing to answer this. Um, in, in terms of, you know, trying to save a little bit of extra money in these inflationary times, what are, you know, a couple of ways that maybe if you were doing personal travel and trying to squeeze a little bit more money out of your budget that uh, you might uh, turn to? Absolutely. Like I have two young kids as well. We want to show them as much of Canada as possible. However, it is incredibly expensive to travel within Canada. 
Um, so a way to save some money is definitely driving. As long as there's more than two people traveling, usually all getting into one vehicle and driving is going to be the most economical way of doing it. Um, so that budget airlines, if you need to get somewhere really far, you just obviously those come with risks and travel insurance is a must if you decide to go that route. And then things like Airbnbs and stuff or staying with family versus staying in hotels. Yeah. And, and I, I guess I, I should, I mean, you know this and I know this, but let's clarify it on the air. When you talk about risks with budget airlines, not safety <laughs> risks, but I guess what, what kind of risk, risk. What, what kind of risk are you talking about? Uh, just budget airlines, they don't have the extra staff, they don't have the extra aircraft. So things go wrong and maintenance needs to be done. And when that happens and it's unexpected, they have to pull that aircraft and they typically don't have a new one to put in its place. So that results in people with last minute cancellations being stuck at the airport. They're not offered an alternate flight. They're basically handed a refund and said, and basically good luck. So mm -hmm. if they do have travel insurance in place with interruption insurance, most interruption insurance will um, reimburse for if they had to go next door to the Air Canada counter and buy four last minute flights from Calgary to Toronto, that would typically be covered under interruption insurance. Mm -hmm. and, and Beth, one last thing, you are a travel professional, but you also are a traveler. Um, yes. What's your answer to our question of the week, which is uh, your best vacation story or memory in Canada? Oh gosh, there, there are honestly so many, but my favorite travel destination in Canada would have to be Vancouver. I grew up in Toronto. I live in Southwestern Ontario. Now we have our lakes here, but it doesn't compare to the ocean. Um, between the mountains, the ocean, the beaches, the um, food, the culture, Vancouver has just everything. I was lucky enough to take the Rocky Mountaineer a couple of years ago too from Vancouver to Calgary and what an experience that was. Yeah, well, I'm lucky enough, obviously, to live in the city that yeah. you love to visit. And it's just a reminder, wherever anybody is who's listening, like, like you know, wherever they are, they live in a place that is actually a tourist destination for someone else. I used to say this to my kids when they were little, like, we are living in a place that other people travel to. But so, you know, it's true where you live. It's true in Halifax. It's true in so many places in the country. So it's great to travel, but it's also, I think, important to appreciate where we're lucky enough to be. And Beth, uh, really Absolutely. nice. Really nice talking to you this afternoon. Thank you very much. Thank you, you too. Beth Baskey, travel advisor with Ellison Travel and Tours in London, Ontario. Coming up, I'm going to speak with a kayaker who paddled, okay, wait for this, 11,000 kilometers from Halifax down through the U.S. to the Gulf of Mexico, back up along the Atlantic coast, the Rideau Canal, like just an incredible story. So stay tuned for that. It is the Labor Day weekend, and we are live with your top travel stories. And our question is, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? Our number, 1-888-416-8333. You can text us as well, by the way. Different number for texting, 226-758-8924. That text number, 226-758-8924. All right, let's go out to, speaking of picturesque places that people love to travel to, Sean Callahan lives in St. John's, Newfoundland. Hey, Sean. Good afternoon, Ian. How are you? I'm doing really well. Your best Canadian vacation ever? By far, uh, revisiting and walking through the steps that the Vikings did back in the 1200s uh, on the tip of the Great Northern Peninsula here in Newfoundland. It's where uh, the Vikings uh, discovered as we know it today, North America, and uh, it's uh, it's still still my favorite vacation. Our father took us out there many many years ago to experience uh, 
all the wonders at uh, Grossmoor National Park, the uh, Lansom Meadows site where the Vikings landed, um, the uh, Port of Schwaz site where you find trilobites and phyllobites right there at your feet and right at your fingertips on the coastline. And, of course, the quietness. There's no traffic jams. There's no four-way highways. It's just heaven on earth. Sean, I've heard so much about Grossmore, and, and uh, definitely I, I want to go there, but I haven't yet. Um, you know, so so describe for me what it's like, like what you were feeling as you saw this place where the Vikings first saw North America. Um, just surreal. Uh, like, what are the chances that you get to walk on those uh, those very, very areas that, that the first Vikings uh, did back, uh, you know, 1200? And, uh, and just to feel that, like, you actually feel it. Because the way the interpretive centers are done, the way the sites had been reconstructed right in the very areas where the Vikings had 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 uh, planted themselves and stayed there for uh, for weeks on end, setting up their their own uh, accommodations right in deep in the ground. Uh, it's all been reenacted, and people, local people in all from all the, uh, the small communities along the coast, reenact that and dress in period clothing. And the fire and the, you know, like in these huts are all, are all um, going for you there in the evenings or in the mornings. They're, they're cooking in there. It's just like you walk back in history, back to the year 1200. And, and Sean, what's the best way for people to get there? The best way, I guess, is to drive. I mean, mm-hmm. if you can get a rental car. But, uh, yeah, like take yourself in a trailer. We, we have parks up there so you can camp uh, right out in the open air. I'll give you an idea. The, the the one place I just absolutely loved was in a place called Trout River, where at 9:30 everything's shut off, like there's no like uh, there's no uh, generators going. All you hear is is a crackle of the fire. It's right along along the ocean. You hear the crackle of the fire and the laughter of people, uh, you know, enjoying life, uh, telling jokes, and you know it's just so it's just so unlike anywhere else you know that that you'll visit. And uh, and there's other places up there, like once you go on the fjord and or into Western Brook Pond, and then you get the story about you know about how all the glaciers came through mm-hmm. and how it reconfigured everything up there. You know, it's a history lesson. It's the beauty up there, the, the you know the fishing, the cod fishing right there on on boats that are ready ready to take you out. Especially these days in the summertime, uh, we have uh, cod fishing there. Mm-hmm. on the weekends, and there's no charge. You just come and get on a boat, and each boat has a maximum uh, number of fish that you can catch, and yep. then, then go back to the dock, and you and they'll uh, fill up the fish with you there, and you have it right on the dock. And All right. There's just so much to see. Yeah. And the history up there, you know, there's so much. Yeah. Uh, like once you get into to Lansom Meadows, and then, then yep. you go over to a place called St. Lanier Gricket, yep. and you go into these, these, these parties, these, uh, these kitchen parties, and all these people, you know, can can uh, can relate, and they're so proud okay. to be in a place and hey, welcome you. you know? Hey, Sean, I'm yeah. sold. You got me. I'm sold. I'm going to do it. And <laughs> and when I go there, I'm going to look for a guest book. And when I put my name in the guest book, I'm going to say Sean sent me. <laughs> Please do. I've done it many times. All right. I just can't help the enthusiasm is just infectious. Well, I, it is absolutely great, and I'm glad you gave us a call. Thank you very much.
Thank you very much. Have a great day. And you too can give us a call to tell us about uh, your favorite vacation spot in the country. And especially if you have a personal story about how that visit, that trek, that journey, whatever it is, how that affected you, continues to affect you, uh, what your family says about it. Our number here on Cross Country Checkup, 1-888-416-8333. I think we're going to hear a lot of driving stories and uh and and here's you know a lot of well a certain number of people try to do the you know Victoria to St. John's Newfoundland or Vancouver to Halifax uh, drives what about this one uh, going all the way from the West Kootenays to the Arctic Ocean by way of the Inuvik to Tuktoyaktuk Highway. That is what Emma Hall did this summer. We've reached her in Burton, British Columbia, which is about 3 hours east of Kelowna. Hi Emma. Hi, how are you today, Ian? I'm doing well. So what gave you the idea to drive up to the Arctic Ocean from British Columbia? Honestly, back in 2017, when I heard that it was possible to drive from or to drive to the Arctic Ocean, I just knew that it was something that I I had to do. I was totally inspired by it. And this spring, I started thinking to myself, well, what am I waiting for? Like when, when is going to be the right time to actually do this? And as, as a life coach, I teach my clients to have the confidence to go after their dreams. And, you know, I told myself, well, here's a perfect example to actually really embody that spirit and, and do one of my dream trips. How long was the drive? In total, I drove 9,171 kilometers. Mm-hmm. And uh, and then in terms of of time, I guess uh, you know you stopped and but but how many days from where you're staying in the West Kootenays to the Arctic Ocean? How many days did you take to drive up there? In total, I actually spent a whole month for my trip. Mm-hmm. Um, driving time, I did 124 hours of actual driving, which when I say it doesn't seem like that much, but during that month, there were days that seemed like a lot of driving. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I, I decided to to go for a whole month because I really value having like the, the freedom to basically do what I want to do when I want to do it. So I wanted to extend my trip. And I figured out a way to be able to see my clients while I was on the road. Mm-hmm. I I called my company Life Untethered because that's what's important to me, to have that freedom, that that life untethered. And so it was really fun to be, um, I had to plan and coordinate to be in self-service, but, you know, calling in and meeting with my clients from campsites in remote places and even from the Arctic Ocean, it was it was so fun to do that. And to be able to go for a a whole month vacation felt incredibly abundant and spacious. And I'm, I'm so grateful to have been able to do that. So tell us about, I don't know if it's the moment you looked in, in the distance and saw what you know was the Arctic Ocean or the moment you managed to get really close to it. Whatever you choose, what was the highlight when you finally got to the Arctic Ocean? It's interesting you asked me about like when I first saw it. As I was driving into Taktayaktak, those last few kilometers, I actually started crying because I realized my my mom just passed away this spring and I realized mm-hmm. I wouldn't be able to FaceTime her and tell her. Um, but then I got there and I was able to get a campsite 
um, right overlooking the Arctic Ocean. It was beautiful. Watch the sun not set. <laughs> and that was incredible. But the real highlight of the Arctic Ocean was the next day when I went skinny dipping in the <laughs> Arctic Ocean. <laughs> and, and so I guess two things occur to me when you say that. First of all, I assume, I don't know, part of your motivation, I guess the freedom of doing that, but also that there were no people around. Is that part of it? Indeed, there were no people around. Yeah. So um, I did have to walk quite a way to get to the water where I went. <laughs> and and like how 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 cold was it? I was surprised. I expected it to really take my breath away, but it certainly wasn't hot. But but <laughs> it was quite tolerable. I had a little swim. I do cold plunge here every morning, so mm. I guess I'd been training and and got myself used to that. Wow. Uh, it certainly wasn't hot. Yes, I absolutely um, have no, you know, no surprise hearing that. Emma, thank you very much for sharing your story. It was my pleasure. Emma Hall, life coach in Burton, British Columbia. Um, everything you're hearing, of course, on our program is live, including our interview that's going to be coming up with an extreme foodie who's crisscrossing Canada on a relatively small dirt bike in search of top cuisine. That's coming up in a few minutes. We're looking to hear your travel stories, your favorite Canadian vacation. Our question is, uh, tell us about that vacation. What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? Our number, 1-888-416-8333. Our text number, 226-758-8924. Um, you know, you'll, you'll hear me say occasionally that you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. That's what Thomas Braun did. And he made this comment, my best family vacation happened in the summer of 1967 when my father opted for a trip to Ottawa on our way from Southern Ontario to visit family in Vermont. Only 10 years old at the time, I felt an immediate connection to the city of Ottawa and would eventually come to study music here at Ottawa University and to live and thrive in this beautiful city. Actually, when I think of the summer of 67, my family flew my mother and father and I from Moncton to Montreal for Expo, and though I was pretty young and don't remember a lot about it, what I do remember is just a, a time of excitement and optimism. And I think for Canada, that's what Expo 67 uh, kind of reflected. Uh, Van Koziol on Twitter uh, wrote, driving from Toronto to Tofino with my elderly mom and my sister, North Shore of Lake Superior, epic. Once my mom was safely delivered to my sister's mother-in-law in Tofino, Sis and I drove back to Toronto like demons through a massive prairie ice storm. Caroline Glover emailed us to say camping along the way, we drove straight across the country in six days. This is back in 2002, stopped for the night at a campsite in Wabush, Newfoundland. It was cold. It was raining. Our tarp and tent were wet. We started tying the tarp up to a tree. The campsite owner came and watched us for five minutes and then said, I have a cabin with a newly installed heater. I'd like to see how it works. Do you want to stay there for $30? My husband and son didn't blink an eye. We'll take it. All right. So you have a story. You can give us a call right now. And uh, that's what Mark Renison has done. He is in Halifax. Hi, Mark. Hi, Ian. What's your vacation story? Well, I think we might be on our family, our best family vacation right now. My, I got my five-year-old, my nine-year-old on the back seat, and my dog... We live in Collingwood, Ontario, where my wife is the, one of the coaches at the Collingwood Paddling Club. Mm-hmm. And the National Canoe and Kayak Sprint Championships are happening here in Dartmouth. And uh, we decided that we were going to make this into a family trip. So we packed up the kids and the car and the dog, and we 
took our time driving uh, to Charlottetown to visit PEI a little bit and the beaches and made our way now to Dartmouth where we've been here for a week. And we, today's my son's fifth birthday. And uh, so we had a little celebration here and we all head home tomorrow with them being a couple of days late for school. Wow, nice. Well, happy birthday to him on behalf of those of us here at Cross Country Checkup. <laughs> um, and, and Mark, what is it about this trip that makes you all think that it, it may be the best ever family trip? Well, it's pretty great because my kids are now old enough that they're kind of independent and mm-hmm. they like going up and down the elevators by themselves and getting their own food at the breakfast buffet. We brought our bikes, so we've been exploring that way. My kids have been hunting for hermit crabs on the beach and, um, and sea snails and, uh, and you know, we're, they're sort of at this age, we've traveled a lot with them when they were babies, but when they're this age, everything is sort of new and exciting. Water slides at the pool are, are a huge deal and every hotel so far has had one. So it's just been a really nice time for us to kind of connect as a family. Yeah, and Prince Edward Island, where you stopped, is a fantastic place. I, I worry about uh, the impact of uh, of the big storm there. Actually, a couple of big storms, but in particular the one uh, last year. Uh, what was your experience in PEI? Yeah, we could. I was actually out there two other times this summer alone just for work. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, you can really see what Fiona has done. And But it's the kind of community where people come together and they do the work they can to rebuild and the the hiking trails or the biking trail that goes all around PEI. Um, you know, they work to repair really quickly and, um, yeah, you can definitely see the results of Fiona, but you know, it's also nice to be able to spend some of your tourism dollars in those communities that, you know, were hard hit. Mm -hmm. And then you're driving back uh, eventually from Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, back to Collingwood. Yeah, we head out early tomorrow morning. Uh, we sort of do three six-hour days, and we stop in a place called Riviere de Lou in Quebec, mm-hmm. again with a water slide, and then uh, see some of my family in Ottawa, and then six more hours to get home to Collingwood. So it's it's a nice, not-too-onerous day, and the kids are great in the back, um, doing their mazes or reading their books or playing with each other. And uh, my wife's been busy coaching all week, and so she'll be happy to to sit back and relax a little bit too. Nice. Well, you talked about PEI. You're in Nova Scotia now. When you drive back tomorrow, you'll be going through New Brunswick. So, you know, take a minute or two to maybe drive into a town there and have lunch and enjoy that part of the trip as well, Mark. Yeah, that's right. Being able to stop at different restaurants along the way and meet different people, and um, it's a real treat. And I'm glad that my kids uh, are able to do it with us. And happy birthday again to your son. Happy fifth birthday. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you very much. That's Mark Renison, who is in Dartmouth, Nova Scotia, and heading back to Collingwood tomorrow. What's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did in the summer? You can give us a call at 1-888-416-8333. I'm Ian Hannah-Mansing, and we are live on Cross Country Checkup in Vancouver. Let's go up to Terrace, British Columbia, where Mary Jo Woodcox is calling us from. Hi, Mary Jo. Hi. Tell us about the, the, we've heard from a lot of people talking about the great trips they've had, but the other part of our question is, you know, is there an outstanding thing from this summer that people want to talk about? And you have an answer for that, Mary Jo. Yeah, mine's my work, actually. <laughs> my work this summer was uh, building uh, pads for drillers mm-hmm. up in the mountains, and uh, you stay away at camp up there, and I was just in the most beautiful place you could ever see. It was surrounded by glaciers, and it was snow caves and it was just amazing grizzly bears and 
Arctic ground squirrels, and it was amazing. Okay, well, describe it. I mean, already that description is so interesting. Uh, paint more of a picture for us. I love it. Well, I actually, when you first, when I first get there, they fly you. You go by helicopter, and it's a thirty-minute drive or flight flight into the mountains. And uh, when you get there, you're so high up. There's hardly any trees, and uh, and it's all just tundra up there. It's just beautiful, beautiful. And all you can see for as far around you is these huge glaciers, huge. And it's and it on the and it's so funny because you're working in snow, and yet you're so hot, you're burning, you're you're getting burnt. Mm-hmm. But it's it's beautiful. It's just beautiful. And and I mean, are bugs an issue where you are? Not so much. There's there can be some, but not as much as you think. Because there's a there's a breeze up there. Mm-hmm. It's a little cooler up there, and there's a breeze, and because you have it's uh, yeah, it's you do have streams like. Um, runoff from the great glaciers and stuff and waterfalls, lots of waterfalls, huge waterfalls, but um, it doesn't tend to be as many bugs as you'd think there'd be because I'm from, actually, Ontario, <laughs> Bancroft, and there is bugs. Yeah. But there it's not as bad. Okay, well, it just sounds fantastic. You know what, Let, let's finish with this, Mary Jo. I think you mentioned grizzly bears. Tell me a little bit more of, of, of you know, seeing them and were there any kind of scary moments or was it just the, majest- the majestic part of watching grizzly bears in their natural habitat? Well, this year we've seen one coming out of hibernation and uh, we were fairly close to it. Um, is being smart is part of it is not not putting yourself in a spot where you can't get out of or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, staying a distance from them. And uh, but we seen one coming out of and and out of, out of this hibernation. But he was on a mission somewhere and he was going. And but uh, he we try we try to make some sounds to let him know we're there and uh, to scare him off a bit. But um, yeah, he he was not having any of ours. He just kept on moving, which is good. You just got to be aware. Watch your, you know, everybody's got to be watching all the time. Mm-hmm. And we, because when you see one, you have to make sure he knows you're there. Most times, if they know you're there, they'll avoid you. I, I love the the description you're giving us. I, I can't. I'm just trying to picture this beautiful part of Canada, but also I'm thinking of how lucky you are that uh, you know this wasn't a. A super expensive vacation you're talking about. This was your work that included this this helicopter, 30-minute helicopter trip in a beautiful part of the country. Mary Jo, thank you very much. You're very welcome. All right, from a 30-minute helicopter ride and all the things that Mary Jo talked about to this, 268 days in a kayak and a journey of 11,000 kilometers. That is what our next guest did, paddling the Great Loop Circuit across Canada and the United States. He started his journey in Halifax last June, paddled uh, through to the United States, down to the Gulf of Mexico before heading back up along the Atlantic coast. His name is Mark Furman. He's a Canadian, but he lives in Norway and we've reached him in Oslo, Norway. Hi, Mark. Hi, Ian. How are you? Good, good. Obviously late there in uh, in Oslo, so thank you for staying up to do this uh, live interview. Um, what inspired you, Mark, to, to set out on this trip? Um, I'm born Canadian, and uh, I've lived in Norway for 38 years, and uh, I just wanted to reconnect with Canada. Uh, I was born in a little place called Atticoke in Ontario, and I wanted to see things I've never seen before. I wanted to experience things I've never experienced before. And I, I wanted to be alone just to, uh, you know, going into retirement to find possibly a, a new direction in life. <clears throat> and I can say I 
actually overdosed on all of those three things. <laughs> mm -hmm. you, you called your trip Reversing the Bad Expedition. What's the significance of that title? Yeah, I, I lost my wife to uh, brain cancer around mm -hmm. 10 years ago. She's an orthopedic surgeon. And a lot of people, behind every face is a story. And behind, when I meet people, there's sorrows, there's injustices. Unfortunately, there's a lot of, uh, of misuse and some women have, uh, have suffered atrocities. And part of letting go of the past is how we reverse the, the, the bad in our life. So... You know, the, the, the past, the history is for experience, is for uh, um, knowledge, and that gives us wisdom. But we must not allow the past to define our future. We must not allow the past to define who we are. It's part of our development, but reversing the bad, let go of the past if you can. Uh, the things that irritate you that, you know, we've all done and made great mistakes. There's, all of us have done it. And sometimes those things can just gnaw at us and irritate us. But part of reversing the bad personally is to let go of the past. And also, let's think about the environment. Let's, let's think of society and how can we reverse the bad there. And basically, it's not doing these fantastic or, you know, huge things. It mm -hmm. just actually boils down to one thing, and that's, small acts of kindness, reaching out to your, uh, your, the fellow humanity that, that you meet. We're speaking with Mark Furman. He kayaked almost 11,000 kilometers from Halifax through the States back up to Canada. <clears throat> Our question today, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? Our number 1-888-416-8333, or you can go to cbc.ca slash Air check. Uh, Mark, I'm not going to ask you the best part of your epic trip because that's not fair. There, there, there would be so many things. But, but I will ask you yeah. to, to kind of tell us one highlight about the Canadian leg of your journey. <clears throat> yeah, I, you know, I left Halifax and paddled towards Cape Breton under uh, Prince Edward Island, New Brunswick. And then when I paddled around Gaspé Peninsula, right around the peninsula, uh, which in Indian uh, First Nations means uh, where, where land ends and paddling up the St. Lawrence. Uh, I mean, Canada is just astounding. And when I paddled through the Trent Severn waterway system from, it's a 386 kilometer trek from uh, Trent, Ontario to Severn, Ontario. I went through 45 locks. And when I went to the Kawartha area, I thought, man, this is such a, uh, a gorgeous section. And, uh, um, and the, and the, 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 the sand dunes in New Brunswick, in northern New Brunswick, I, I didn't even know, <clears throat> you know, I didn't even know they existed. Uh, coming back up the East Coast, I, fortunately, I didn't see the coast in New Brunswick because uh, I was paddling in fog for 24 days. Wow. But, uh, but, but I, I must say that the, that the Trent Severn Waterway, um, you know, 45 locks there. It took me around two weeks to come through those, uh, that, those kilometers. But it was serene, it was peaceful, it was nature, and it was genuine. Um, you know, and the whole thing with traveling a kayak and paddling, it's all about authenticity. Uh, you know, authenticity. You, you meet genuine people, you're, you're breathing genuine air, you're seeing genuine trees, and nothing's fake, nothing's irritated, you know, it's not, nothing's imitated. But the best thing about the whole trip was actually the people that I met. 
That was mm. phenomenal. Which I think is one of the fascinating things about a fascinating trip that you took because you clearly, it's a solitary thing, kayaking. You went by yourself. You spent a lot of time by yourself. And yet at the same time, uh, you you had interactions with lots of people. Uh, we're getting lots of calls on the program and, and I want to get to those. But let, maybe I ask you sure. one, more, one more question, yeah. Mark. And that is, again, in terms of the Canadian part of it, um, any person or interaction with a person uh, that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, you know, there, there's a. It was before I came to Shippagon in Nova in New Brunswick. I, I think I was at a place called. I'm not too sure if I remember, but Point uh, Point Anne or Point Saint Anne. I'm not too sure. And a guy saw me when I pulled up to the marina, and he came and got me. And said, "What are you doing? Where are you kayaking from?" And I told him my story, and you know the three words people say, "Are you crazy?" <laughs> but anyways. He he invited me into his house, and next door to him, he had a small cabin, and he said, stay here as long as you want. He got out his guitar, and he started singing, and he, you know, Acadian, and he could both the French and the English, and oh, that was such a great, great meeting. And I, I just, the people in the maritime areas, I, I, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, I call Vancouver my home, but I, I got I to gotta take my hat off to these people. They're, they're just fabulous. I, I just loved it. Um, let me finish with this, Mark. You, uh, I think, have posted a whole bunch of videos, right, on on YouTube. How can people find those? Yeah, it, if you just search Mark uh, plus kayak when you're on YouTube, you'll mm-hmm. find me. I have 40, uh, 46 films. I'm just kind of finishing the last one when I when I paddled into Halifax. And 10 kilometers before I came to Halifax, I saw this big black fin approaching me. And... Uh, a great white shark just swam like a slithering snake around five meters <clears throat> from my kayak. So mm-hmm. that was a good entry into Halifax. Yeah, and we didn't even talk about the alligator that tried to torpedo your kayak when you were in <laughs> no, Florida. But yeah. I, I, I mean, you got a million stories, and I don't have a million oh, minutes to yeah. talk about them. So, Mark, listen, it's it's a real pleasure to talk to you, and especially given that you're in Oslo, that you stayed up so late to speak with us. I, I appreciate all of it. Oh. Thank you. I, I'm Canadian, so I'm with you. All right. All right, Mark. Uh, Mark Furman, right. a kayaker who uh, traveled all around Canada and the United States and is back in his current home in Norway. Uh, another interview coming up that uh, I can't wait for is with an extreme foodie who has a little dirt bike and headed across the country. You'll want to listen to that. In the last half hour of the program, as always, it's our AMA, and this week it's going to be about COVID and what's to come this fall with an infectious disease specialist. And, uh, of course, there are your inspiring summer stories. Looking forward to hearing more of those. Our question, what's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? Our number here on Cross Country Checkup is 1-888-416-8333. You can text us at 226-758-8924. Let's go to Reg Witten, who's in Moberly Lake, British Columbia. And, Reg, do you pronounce your last name Witten? Well, it's Whiten, but Whiten. We, I usually get that. Okay, okay, Whiten, Whiten it is, okay? There you go. Uh, Reg, tell us about your best Canadian trip. Well, it's it's a really big toss-up between Gaspésie and Haida Gwaii, but I would have to say Haida Gwaii a few years ago, actually five years ago now. Um, I had been at a conference on tourism, as a matter of fact, the previous fall, and uh, this was in July that I went, and I bid on a ticket on Pacific Coastal Airlines to to go somewhere in their operating region, and I and I picked uh, Haida Gwaii, and uh, I just was amazed by the whole experience. 
I uh, got to the airport in Vancouver and actually ran into David Suzuki there, who was also <laughs> going to visit his family. He's got it. He's married. His daughter's married into the family there. And uh, so it was a great start. Um, booked ahead a little bit on Airbnb, uh, an Airbnb on the, the reserve um, near Skidigat. Um Just was amazed, actually, by not planning too much, just by, you know, looking at some of the opportunities to get out and experience some of the culture. Uh, the museum is outstanding. Um, to get the tours, to get these really personalized uh, insights into uh, the whole area, the history, got out to a place called Kuna, which is Skidans, uh, another name, um, and, and saw the history of that island that was abandoned um, because of a major... Um, uh, epidemic that happened years, um, hundred years ago or so. So, so to be able to get out, get out on the boat, and, and catching crab on the way back, hmm. the tourism officer really just very, um, in, you know, the insight insight that I got just from hanging out, and uh, yeah, I would say that would be right up there. Yeah, <laughs> well, back, it's, just... it, you know, it's interesting as you say that. I think to myself. I have spoken to a few people who have been to Haida Gwaii. I've never heard anybody say that they regretted the trip and quite the opposite. Like you, they were just enchanted by it and they loved it. Now, given that this is a radio program, we're also on, on uh, CBC News Network, but think back to, to a moment that you were there, something you can describe for our audience in, you know, as whether it's, it was the smell of the forest or the sound of, of, or maybe it was the quiet that you heard or just something that was awe-inspiring. Describe for us a moment that, uh, that's, you still think about, uh, long after this trip. For sure. You know, uh, going to Kuna or Skadans, that, um, the, the island I was just describing in the history mm -hmm. and having the personalized tour from um, a Haida um, cultural interpreter and seeing this, hearing the stories of the poles and then having a, a salmon bake uh, while we were there and just um, just taking it all in. Wonderful group of other travelers and sharing stories and making connections. And just just like this show, you just get so inspired to go, you know, just, I'd spend a year just traveling the country. Mm -hmm. I've, I've done a lot. And, and, and it's, it's really about really you know, going on an adventure, uh, just like your last guest is describing and just, and seeing what happens and building connections. Yeah. So I really, I really promote it. I live in a really beautiful area here that travelers from all over the world come to. Um, and, and to be able to just take the time to, uh, and, you know, spend the money and buy some wonderful crafts that you can continue to enjoy in your home. Um, yeah, very special. <laughs> Reg White, yeah, thank you very much for calling. I really appreciate it. And, and you know, as, as those of you who are listening and watching the show, all of these calls are connected. But in particular, I think about what Reg has to say about uh, Haida Gwaii um, off the west coast of Canada um, and what we heard about Gros Morne and uh, the historic... Uh, impact of being there and also the food and the friendliness and how beautiful it was. And, you know, kind of look at a map where Grossmorn is and where Haida Gwaii are, is and, uh, and just imagine like that's a lot of distance and so different in terms of history, but really very similar in terms of the experience that uh, the two callers had in those two places. Um, yeah, and as I say, really enjoying hearing these stories and looking forward to hearing yours. Um, on air check, Kirsten Patterson 
in Toronto got in touch with us. She said, I was touring Newfoundland and Labrador one summer and we took the Red Bay Ferry over to Labrador for the local Bake Apple Festival. There were not enough hotels, so guests were housed by local families. We loved, she says in capital letters, our whole trip, including the Fogo and Change Islands, again in caps, great place. On Twitter, Bob Confer says, Reindeer Lake 2010, full of adventure, near misses with lightning and a water spout. Got to ride in a Jets co-pilot seat for a three-hour flight. Whoa, that's cool. Uh, Caught lots of fish, had the best day on the water in my life. It was my last vacation with my parents, says Bob. Heather Grant from Saskatoon via AirCheck writes, When my mom and I visited Nova Scotia, we toured a cheese factory. Our lunch was had while we sat overlooking the ocean. Great view for two prairie citizens. Let's go to Cynthia Dow, who is in Cascapéadi in Quebec. Hi, Cynthia. Hi, Ian. Nice Uh, to talk to you. Yeah, and you know what? Uh, Cascapédia, maybe. Cascapedia. Yeah. Okay. All right. I'm just, I'm looking at it and trying to negotiate my way through there, but thank you very much. Uh, uh, Cynthia, what about you? What, what's the, what's the best trip for you? Well, Ian, I want to talk about the train because the train is a great way to see Canada. Mm-hmm. And in 1986, I know it's quite a while ago now, but I took the train from Montreal to Vancouver Wow. and I just had the most fabulous trip. I was, um, I was traveling alone, so uh, when I wasn't in my bunk bed asleep, I was in the observation car all the time mm-hmm. with, of course, an empty seat beside me. So I met people from all over the world. Um, and I'll never forget, especially uh, going through the prairies, um, a young lawyer from Calgary sat with me for a while, and he was a, a keen um, amateur historian, very interested in the indigenous history of the of the plains Mm -hmm. and so i got kind of a lecture from him (laughs) (laughs) while i was uh traveling through through the plains and um i met todd brooker the canadian skier Hmm. um that was the year of the expo in vancouver and a group of seniors had crossed the country on on bicycle i don't know if you remember that i don't remember that no yeah, but I met one of them who was going back by train, and uh, the stories he had to tell were just fabulous. I met people from Spain, Japan, um, Norway. It was just, and of course, many Canadians. And from the train, I got to see beaver dams, uh, eagles, Hungarian partridge on the prairies, and wow. antelope. And it was just like, you're sitting at a picture window, but everything, the country is going by you. Yeah, I mean, literally, uh, literally, that's what happened. You're this rolling literally. mural of Canada as you're on the train. Well, Cynthia, thank, thank you very, very much. It's uh, nice to, to hear a shout out for train travel, something which has been yeah, very important. Absolutely. Yeah, thank you very much. Environmentally friendly. Too, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Environmentally friendly and historically, you know, such a critical part of the way Canada developed. And that is a long trip from Quebec all the way out to Vancouver. Thank you very much. Well, Thank speaking you. speaking of long trips, our next guest uh, used a dirt bike, is still using a dirt bike to uh, to see a lot of this country, and uh, he's eating some really interesting meals. Uh, Kix Marshall is an author and adventurer, originally from Red Deer, Alberta. He began his current journey in March, his first stop in BC's Haida Gwaii, which we just uh, heard about. Uh, we've reached him in Bridgetown, Nova Scotia, about one and a half hours west of Halifax. Hi, Kix. 
Hello, Ian. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for uh, connecting with us. And uh, I'm going to have to take a break midway through this conversation. In fact, I may even interrupt you because uh, okay. we, we, no we, we break uh, after, uh, for, after the first hour on television, then continue on radio. Um, but, but let's start the interview. Let's start by asking what, why, and why would you decide to crisscross Canada in a little dirt bike? Ian, there's no better way to see the country than on a dirt bike. I originally did a trip a few years back from Canada to Argentina on a different bike. And along the way, I got to meet lots of cultures and local people. And after I got back from that trip, I realized I didn't know anything about Canadian culture and the countryside itself and hadn't traveled much of it. And I thought the best way to see the country was little bit by little bit through uh, the eyes of each person's kitchen on the back of a dirt bike. And, and, and let's not lose sight of what you just said in case somebody's, you know, driving, listening on the radio going, what? what you, you, you took a motorcycle from Canada all the way down to Argentina. Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to blow it over, but uh, <laughs> yeah, it was that was the last trip, and this is a new one. But yeah. I did bike a different time, yeah, from Canada to Argentina and ticked off all of the countries in between except for Venezuela. It was closed at the time, and that trip, yeah, that trip was amazing. That was a great way to see that part of the world, and uh, on the back of that, I wanted to see this part of the world being Canadian. Yeah, so um, th- one of the things about this trip in Canada is that it, it's kind of revolving around food experiences. And uh, describe one of the one of the notable moments for you in terms of food. Yeah, for sure. There's been a lot. The country is incredibly blessed with so many like rich cultural backgrounds and so many different foods that come with it. And the plan was to get to know people like through their kitchen. So if I contacted them and asked them sort of what their culture was and what the connection to food was. A lot of people invited me in for dinner or for lunch and showed me how to make what their local cuisine was. And a few of the highlights for sure was up in the northern part of British Columbia, up around the Nass Valley area. And I met a guy there who took me to a local smokehouse in their community and they were smoking sea lion. And I never in my life considered the fact that you could eat sea lion mm-hmm. or the people did. And uh, they showed me how they smoked it. They showed me how they cooked it. And he invited me back to his house for sea lion ribs one night. We barbecued sea lion ribs around the family around that family barbecue, then sat down in the kitchen and he explained the culture of uh, where they'd come from and why they ate the food and how it was still significant to them. It was really a neat experience and something you can't buy, you can't Google, you can't show up at a restaurant, you just have to be invited in to have it. Yeah, sounds fantastic. We are live here with Kix Marshall and uh, do stay with us, Kix. We're going to take that break right now. For those of you who are watching on CBC News Network, actually on the television broadcast, let's go back to Kix's shot because in behind him, you can actually see the dirt bike, I think, that uh, yeah, yeah, that he took, yeah, that he's still taking as he uh, crisscrosses across Canada. But for those of you on CBC News Network, thanks for watching. Hey, my name is Jamie Poisson and I'm the host of Frontburner. It's the CBC's daily news podcast. And every day we're discussing the big events and fault lines shaping Canada and the world. Politics, economics, social movements, you name it. Sometimes we even talk about really fun stuff like the enduring relevance of Lord of the Rings. You can hear Frontburner on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. Watching. This is Hour 2 of Cross Country Checkup. We're live on CBC Radio and CBC Gem. In 30 minutes, it's our Ask Me Anything segment with Dr. Zane Chagla. Today's AMA is about the new COVID subvariant and what we should be expecting this fall. If you have questions about masking, boosters, or anything COVID-related, you can give us a call, one 888 You can text us, too. That number is 226 758 
800-529-8924. You can also use those numbers for our main topic. What's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? And let's continue our conversation with Kix Marshall. He's dirt biking across Canada, trying new foods. And right now he's in uh, Bridgetown, Nova Scotia. And Kix, you talked about uh, the barbecued, was it was it sea lion? Is that what you had? Well, yes, it was. Yeah, sea yeah, lion for sure. Okay, so we have a little bit of time now. Tell me another. Well, one of the things I, I heard you talking to our producer about is that you you stumbled on um, a great debate in Quebec about the best tortier. Tell us about that. Yeah, it's also interesting that inside of each culture within the country, there's also little subcultures, and they have their own dishes. And as an outsider from Alberta, who's not Quebecois, I was unaware that there was different tortillers, let alone very distinct ones. And so I was told that if I wanted to see a very authentic tortillere in Quebec, I should go to Lac Saint-Jean, if I'm saying that correctly. You are and saying that correctly, yep. They have a tortillere Lac Saint-Jean. And so I met some people. They invited me up to their little place up near Lac Saint-Jean, and we made an authentic tortillere Lac Saint-Jean with wild meats. And uh, I don't speak French either. And so I had someone translate the entire event for me. And I, was, I felt quite honored to have a very traditional meal cooked by the locals uh, completely in a foreign language to me. And it was, it was quite memorable. And it's also fun to tell people that you've had the best tortillere in Quebec because then that sparks a debate about where the, the best tortillere comes from. Yeah. And, and so, so many incredible things about your trip. The fact you're doing it on a dirt bike, the fact that you're focusing on local cuisine. But the other part is, or another part, is your, your connections with people and how many people have literally opened their doors to you. Um, I don't know. I find that incredible. How, how, what impact does it have on you? It's amazing to know, like the world over, if you travel, Canadians are obviously really well known as some of the friendliest people on the planet. And to see that live is unbelievable. The people are so friendly and very welcoming. And if, if, I, if I ask someone about getting to know their culture or their cuisine, it's been a 100% open door policy. And if they don't want to do it, they'll say, I recommend my mom or my aunt or what have you. And so people have invited me in to cook me dinner. And then they'll say, actually, why don't you spend the night or we'll have a little party for you and that sort of thing. I even met a guy uh, on Campobello Island in New Brunswick. And I was looking for a local dish and the people had suggested um, lobster rolls. And he was like, well, lobster rolls are good. But really, most people can't afford the lobster roll locally. It's more of a tourist thing. And we make a lot of chowder. You should go over to my mom's house and meet Mrs. Tinker, who lives on Tinker's Alley, named after <laughs> the family because they've been there for so long. And you drive down this little gravel road, and at the end of this little foggy laneway is a red house. And Mrs. Tinker on her walker comes through the window and says, come on in. I'll show you how to make the chowder. And it, it's like, these people don't know me from a hole in the wall. They don't know wow. anything about me. Wow. They just said, come on in. We'll make you lunch. We'll send you with a to-go bag. And if you want somewhere to stay, you're welcome to use a spare room. It's like the people are unbelievable. It's been, it's been incredible how friendly the people are. I think you wanted to start your trip after the snow stopped falling and you didn't quite achieve that. I think you, you got, there was some snow you had to deal with and that yeah. uh, you would want to end this trip when the snow starts to fly again. Uh, is that going to happen? Yeah, there was a couple little rules in place. One was about the food. I didn't want a Googleable a Googleable experience anyone can take. And the second was I wanted to get from snow melt to snow fall. Mm -hmm. But I was trying to meet this guy. He's actually, I'm not going to say where he lives because he's a bit of a recluse and he lives in the mountains in BC. He's from France, from France and he's a French pastry chef. He makes chocolates and ice creams and that kind of thing. And he built himself a little hobbit house up in the woods. Mm -hmm. And he said, if you come and meet me, you, you can do it, but I'm leaving in April for a month. 
So it'd have to be before then. And I don't know if you're familiar with the Canadian Rockies in March, but it's not the <laughs> most time to travel. So I set off in the snow with my dirt bike and I carried a drill and some studs in case I had to stud the tires and made my way through a few snowstorms up to his place. It was a bit like it, it was a little bit uh, questionable to say the least. And my wife wasn't impressed with my timeline, but <laughs> I made it and it was fine. And the next step now that we've gone from Haida Gwaii to essentially Cape Spear, Newfoundland, the next stop on my list was Yukon, which doesn't make sense on the map, but it's the closest. It does not point. make sense. Does not make sense, Kicks. But anyway, you go ahead. <laughs> it's the closest point to where I live in Alberta, and I wanted to leave it till the end because I knew if I went there first, it took too long. I'd miss Newfoundland, and so that's the last stop on this trip is the Yukon, where I'm headed, essentially from Nova Scotia, where I am now. And I'm really hoping that the weather holds and we have a, maybe a marginal El Nino year or something where it's warm until the end of October. So if you have any friends in the Yukon who can hook me up with a with a local regional dish, Ian, that'd be great. Yeah, well, and it's worked out for you so far. Listen, there is no situation there's where I'm going to get on a dirt bike and go across the country, but you have inspired me to consider two things. One is seeing more of Canada, and the other one is trying more local foods. Uh, you know, people have opened their doors to you, and you've opened our eyes to uh, just all the adventures that are possible out there, Kicks. So thank you very much. Thanks a lot, Ian. I really appreciate the time. And yeah, if anyone has any suggestions for me at all, that'd be great. Just one province left. They can just Google my name, Kix Marshall, and send me their suggestion. That'd be very helpful. I really appreciate it, Ian. Yeah, and, and in fact, that has worked for you, right? Like you just, you, you've been getting, like you kind of just put your name out there and you've been getting fantastic suggestions and help from people, right? Yeah, I did. The first couple were a bit tricky because I I just picture in my head, like, who's this crazy person who wants in our house to have lunch? <laughs> But once we broke into a few doors, I shouldn't say broken, once we got into a few <laughs> doors uh, and I could show some social proof that I'd been in and it went well, then the, it basically snowballed from there. I almost had too much help. Like on the East Coast, the East Coast is ridiculously friendly as far as friendly people go. Mm-hmm. And we're like, come to my house. I'll take you fishing. We'll go out and catch cod. You can have cod tongue and britches at our house. Spend the weekend. Come over to my aunt's place. We'll have a barbecue on the beach. We'll cook lobsters. And it was it was. It was actually almost too much, but you don't want to say no to a good thing. So we, we let it keep rolling. Fantastic kicks. Really nice talking to you and safe travels. Thanks a lot, Ian. I'll talk to you soon. Have a great evening. Kicks Marshall is a travel writer. He is in Bridgetown, Nova Scotia right now. Coming up at the bottom of the hour, our Ask Me Anything about the latest COVID subvariant, about uh, vaccines, about what's likely to come in the fall. Uh, but in the meantime, let's keep talking about vacations. What's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer? Our numbers one 888 Our text 226-758-8924. Donna Schellenberg has patiently been waiting on the line. She's calling from Penticton, British Columbia. Hi, Donna. Well, hello there, Ian. <laughs> uh, so we heard earlier from our kayaker, uh, Mark Furman, about the Trent Severn Waterway, uh, which I've never been on, but you have. Tell us about that. That was my trip trip that it perhaps might be my last, too, <laughs> mm. because I am 90 years old. Wow. We, there, there was supposed to be seven people from Penticton go to Ontario the end of June for this particular trip we were on. Mm-hmm. Uh, for the Trent Severn uh, system from Peterborough to Severn, I guess is what it's called. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was fabulous. And, and we so what, what about it was fabulous? Well, I think part of it, the, a big part of it was the uh, Kawatha. Mm-hmm. Is that how you say that I think word? so, yeah. yeah. Kawatha Voyageur. It was the ship, that the, the vessel. It's mm-hmm. not a ship. <laughs> so, and it's not a boat. Mm-hmm. 
and it's certainly not a <laughs> a pleasure boat mm-hmm. because it was very very interesting that we uh, were on. I would, I can't believe that that's been there all this time and we haven't done this before. Hmm. My husband and I kept all of our trips for Canada towards the end of our life so that, you know, we we quite frankly get medical coverage. Mm-hmm. You know, we live in a wonderful country here that yeah. looks after their people. And so I good good for you for, for doing this, uh, you know, at, at sort of, you mentioned your age, 90, that's incredible. For somebody who's younger, maybe a lot younger listening, what advice do you give them given, you know, your perspective in terms of life? Uh, what advice would you give them about uh, going on an epic Canadian trip? I'll tell you, just go as much as you can. We, I've been very fortunate. We have been to an awful lot of countries and we kept our Canadian trips to the end as I say, mm-hmm. and we are, we were so glad we did. My husband passed away about six years ago, mm. so you know this this trip was on my own, mm-hmm. and uh, I made up my mind I was going to go. That's for sure. Yeah. But we've been w- with our young young family all over BC to the different campsites. Mm-hmm. The best one was right at, at Asoyos, right below our Okanagan Valley here, mm-hmm. right on the. Um, border of of uh, Washington State and mm-hmm. and uh, British Columbia, and here we hunted all over for a place like that little strip of land that we parked on, and mm-hmm. it was right in our right in our face, and we didn't know it. <laughs> yeah, well, that that's an interesting. I mean, Asoyas is a beautiful part of the country, it's and a, I, it's a beautiful little yeah. place. They've, there's so many grapes vines around mm-hmm. now. They've taken away the beautiful blossoms that used to happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, every spring it was just gorgeous down yeah. there. When you came down the Anarchist Mountain, you, you're obviously a British Columbian then, Ian. Well, I've lived in Vancouver for a long time. I grew up on the of East course. Coast and I, I live in Vancouver now. And I have to say, um, you're part of the country, you know, the South Okanagan. I mean, obviously the fire issue uh, for the last few years has has been uh, concerning. Uh, but putting that aside for a moment in terms of just sheer beauty, Naramata, Penticton, uh, Osoyas, just uh, great. And I, in the summertime, really nice to visit. Donna, thank you very much for sharing your story. I really appreciate it. Well, I'll tell you, I just appreciate this country we live in, too, and I would recommend everybody do it. We've seen every province except the Yukon Territory. Well, I guess we were dipped in there one time, and uh, Northwest Territory. So the, the inspiration has given me from the young lady that said that she <laughs> went skinny dipping in, in the... Yeah, and drove drove <laughs> and her, she, she drove just her and her I dog. I shall do that, but I shall <laughs> certainly try to get up there. <laughs> All right. Donna, thank you so thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Uh, uh, Simone Frazier is in uh, London, Ontario. Hi, Simone. Hi, how are you? Good. What's your best Canadian vacation ever story? Well, uh, this is just a, a great thing that uh, we did this summer. We mm-hmm. uh, we chartered a 45-foot sailboat out of uh, the North Shore of Manitoulin and did a week-long uh, sailing trip in the North Channel. Oh wow! And yeah. and uh, and so you're a sailor then, uh, presumably. Well, I, I have limited experience from my childhood. Mm-hmm. Uh, my husband has also experience as a young man, um, and uh, the, our friends that we took with us had zero sailing experience. However, lots of uh, experience navigating on the water through, you know, interior camping, etc. But we we uh, hired a sailor, uh, sorry, a captain for a day and a half. Oh, I see. Okay. Kind of uh, brushed up our skills and Mm -hmm. 
he uh, let us loose, and we had a we had a great time. Uh, it's lots of nostalgia for both um, my husband and I. We I cottaged up in uh, Georgian Bay as a as a teenager and young kid, and so that was along with my friend who came along. That we've been friends since grade seven, so she spent mm-hmm. a lot of summers with me up in the up in Georgian Bay. So it was a lot of nostalgia for for both of us. And mm-hmm. uh, he he did that same sailing trip as a as a young person with his parents many years earlier. So it was a lot of fun. I hear so much about Georgian Bay. I've never been there. Um, so maybe describe for us uh, something about it that, uh, I mean, the nostalgia part I get, but beyond the nostalgia, something about Georgian Bay that, that makes it so attractive. It's, you know, it's, it's cold, which is not the best part, but, <laughs> you know, very clear. The water is very clear. Um, it's deep. And it's, it's just this huge body of water that is, it can be aqua blue. It feels like you're in the Caribbean sometimes. Um, and you feel like you're about to hit a rock, but the rock is, you know, 25 feet below the surface, right? So it's, it, it, the rock formations are beautiful and, and remote. And yeah, it, there's nothing like it. Well, you're, you're making it sound fantastic, which is exactly it, it one is of the... beautiful. Yeah. yeah, it is beautiful for sure. Simone, thank you very much for calling. Thank you. Let's take a look at some of the reaction uh, we're getting from people who are contacting us uh, via, for example, platforms like Twitter. Sal, I, you know what? I, I read your tweets all the time, but I, uh, I don't think I've ever heard your name pronounced uh, out loud. I hope it's Spatifora. hope I'm getting it right. Um, here's what Sal wrote. Uh, what I call the Summer of Islands. This is his uh, best Canadian vacation ever. 2009. Two adults, three kids, Newfoundland, including Cape Spear, uh, drove across the island, side trips to Saint-Pierre and Miquelon, the French territories that are uh, within sort of the Atlantic Canada region. Uh, and Vancouver Island, Victoria to Tofino road trips with many stops. Wow. So Sal and his family covered a lot of ground there in their Summer of Islands 2009. Julie H. Ferguson on Twitter wrote, High Canadian Arctic in August 2022. Best trip anywhere on the planet. Laurel Grasset in Oakville via Aircheck wrote to us, An Indian wedding, Salt Spring Island, BC, five glorious days. Wedding was in Ruckle Park. Rob, also writing via air check, the best vacation my family and I ever had in Canada was in the summer of 2001 when we took the train from Montreal to Vancouver. Hey, what are the chances of that? Two people talking about taking the train from Quebec to Vancouver. Rob says, we loved the sleeper car and really enjoyed the meals in the dining car and the views from the dome car. It was idyllic. Idyllic. (laughs) What's the best vacation you ever had in Canada? What's the most outstanding thing you did this summer is our question for the next 15 minutes. Then we switch to our AMA on COVID. Angela Pumford is in Jamestown in New York State, uh, currently uh, on a road trip. Hi, Angela. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you very much for calling in. Uh, What's your uh, vacation story you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so I'm actually from, like, southwest Michigan, Metro Detroit. So all throughout my life, I've been taking trips to Canada. You know, Windsor's right across the way for my family. But the best uh, Canada trip we've ever had was actually this summer, where I have a cousin who grew up in Nepal, which is in South Asia, right above mm-hmm. India. Mm-hmm. And she grew up there and lived there her whole life. And this summer, she got her visa for the first time to leave the country. And she is coming to Canada to study at Fanshawe College in London. Hmm. So it was a family trip where 
she came to Canada and it was me, my extended family, my parents, my sister, and we just took her around Canada and it was a totally brand new experience for her. She had never been out of the country before and Nepal is a less developed country, so it was totally exciting for her to be in a big city. We brought her to Toronto, we brought her to London, we brought her to the Niagara Falls, and it was incredible. It can be fascinating to see our uh, our own country, or in this case, a nearby country, because you are an American who visits Canada. It, it it can be fascinating to see, you know, places we're familiar with through the eyes of somebody who's visiting. And so, I mean, Niagara Falls is just an amazing thing to see, no matter where you're from. But other than that, um, was there a, a, something that that really struck her that as you, as you saw her reaction, you thought, well, that's really interesting. Yeah. Um, so Nepal is a landlocked country. It doesn't have any oceans on its borders or anything. So she had never been to a big body of water. And so we brought her to Grand Bend and she saw Lake Huron, which just goes on forever and ever. Like when you look at the coast, it just keeps on going. Mm -hmm. And she had the biggest smile on her face. (laughs) And we thought, you know, maybe she would be scared to get in and swim, but she ran straight in the water and she would not get out all day. She had the best time just playing around in the water. And it was so cool to gain another appreciation for lakes and all the beauty that Canada has to offer because I've been going for my whole life, but it was just like a whole brand new excitement just getting to experience her joy for her first time seeing the water and seeing a beautiful beach. That's great to hear that perspective, Angela. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you so much. Okay, from Jamestown, New York State, let's go to Orangeville, Ontario now. That's where Sam Dinatelli is. Hi, Sam. Hi, Ian. Tell us about your uh, epic Canadian vacation. Okay, well, I'm a big Volkswagen guy, and Mm -hmm. I always wanted to get my hands on a Volkswagen van. I had one in high school, and then I ended up selling it. So I found a Volkswagen van, a 1964 Volkswagen van, in Pincher Creek, Alberta, and it was the same year I was born. So I made arrangements to fly out there, and I ended up in this little town in southern Alberta called Pincher Creek. And I stayed with a guy who was housing the van, and we worked on it for two days, and then he drove me to the Trans-Canada Highway and waved me off goodbye, and (laughs) I started my journey. Mm -hmm. And I remember, you know, turning on the Trans-Canada, and I had two broken windows. I had four different tires on the van, and uh, I just thought, how am I going to make it home? Well, I drove the first day. It was a Friday afternoon by the time I got to... um, Saskatchewan and it was around four o'clock and there was no traffic on the Trans-Canada. I'm like, I couldn't believe that there wasn't much traffic. And I was going through the golden fields of Saskatchewan. It was beautiful. And I stopped in um, Swift Current late at night, got a hotel, got up the next morning. I was getting ready to go onto the highway, Trans-Canada. And I see this young man standing on the, on the uh, overpass to the highway with a sign saying New Brunswick. So I pulled over <laughs> to him and I said, would you like a ride? I'm going to Ontario. Well, the van was in such rough shape, I could tell the young guy was nervous. <laughs> but he he ended up jumping in the van. We became you know good friends. I had no radio, so we had to talk. And and he stayed with me till uh, I got to Orange, almost Orangeville, just outside Orangeville. And he only had five dollars to him to his name, and I paid for his meals. And he stayed in a hotel with me, and uh, we drove across Canada. And I remember I got to just outside of Winnipeg and I was kind of tired and frustrated and I thought, I just can't do this. And I was at a gas station uh, just on the outskirts of Winnipeg and, I, and this guy came over to talk to me and asked me about my van. 
And I said, tell me, how far am I from the Ontario border? And he said, oh, you're only about three hours. Well, in my mind, if I made it to Ontario, I was home. <laughs> I kept going, and then, but I didn't realize once I got to Ontario, it was still another three days till I, I got home. Mm-hmm. And it was just a, an incredible journey, uh, you know, with this young man who I got to know. And and there were times where, you know, I'd say to him, "Just if you want to just not talk or just close your <laughs> eyes, we don't have to talk all the time because we yeah. had no radio, yeah. just the noise from the old band. But it was uh, such an incredible experience. And, Ian, I had that van from 1999 till 2020 mm-hmm. and I put it up for sale. And this is the best part of the story is uh, I got contacted by a guy from Calgary and he asked me about the van. Well, it turns out that he owned that van from 1987, I think till 1981. And he'd oh, been looking man. for it for years. Oh, And he flew out from Calgary in uh, June of 2020 in the height of COVID, bought the van, turned around and drove back out West with it, with his daughter. They've, they've, they're going to write a, like a children's book about it, the whole yeah. adventure. And they had a name for it. They called it Rocky. <laughs> we have to track him down. We're going to have to get in touch with Sandy's you. Sandy's his name. I, okay. I wish I remember his last name. He, I know he was in Calgary and he's got a cottage in BC and he's got Rocky somewhere out there. And it's a beautiful van. Okay, listen, Sandy, or anyone who knows Sandy who has that Volkswagen van named Rocky, uh, get in touch with us because uh, I'd love to, I mean, there's a certainly, well, he's writing his, or his daughter's writing a children's book about the van, but there's a story uh, t- about that van that we should do as well. You know, Sam, it's, it, I, my, my wife's family, when she was a girl, um, had a Volkswagen van and she is still, after all these years, enchanted by it. Uh, you know, those vehicles were not perfect. Uh, they were underpowered. No. They were loud. You could probably yeah. Smell the exhaust in the in the you know uh, more than you should when you were inside there. But uh, there's something about those Volkswagen vans. I think that people who had them just loved them, and it certainly sounds when like that's how you felt. When I used to drive around uh, Orangeville with it, or yeah. outside Orangeville, like, little kids would point and stare at it like it was a, a spaceship. <laughs> yeah, they loved it. It was such a great van to drive. But you know, yeah. I had my time with it, and then I passed it on to. And I'm so happy it ended up with somebody that owned it at uh, you know at a certain point in its life. Yeah, Sam, thank you very much for calling in. Nice meeting you, Ian. Take care. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you're listening to Cross Country Checkup. I'm Ian Hannah-Mansing. We're live in Vancouver, and uh, we have a little, little less than 10 minutes on our main topic here, the best vacation you ever had in Canada. And just before I go back to uh, some calls on that, a reminder, our Ask Me Anything is with Dr. Zane Chaglin, infectious disease specialist, and it's about COVID. A lot of people talking about COVID. Are we seeing uh, the possibility of a, another wave this fall, often with respiratory uh, illnesses, with viruses. We do see an increase in the autumn when people start to spend more time indoors. But what does that mean for you in terms of what actions you should be taking? Um, when should you have a booster? And uh, and what about the new variant? How concerning is it? Dr. Chagla quite kindly has offered up a half hour on this long weekend to talk to us and you can ask him anything. So that starts in uh, less than uh, 10 minutes. Uh, So you can start calling in actually for the AMA, 1-888-416-8333, or you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck, or you can text us 226-758-8924. Okay, here's the challenge for me. The producer has just said to me, Lightning round. Let's try to squeeze in three calls in our remaining time before the AMA. Richard, we are going to do that. We're going to start by going up to Ekaluit. Uh Brian Tatwini is uh, calling us. Hi, Brian. Good afternoon. 
Thank you very much for calling. I know we have a bit of a delay, as we just heard on the phone. So for anyone listening, don't be alarmed by the the delay between Brian and I. Um, Brian, give me give me a minute or ninety seconds on uh, a great vacation experience you have had. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, one thing we did as kids, um, one of my parents, well, my parents goals was for us to see the country um you know canada is quite large and uh my favorite vacations were always uh doing stints of driving across the country um you know we come from the arctic and it's we're we're remote but you know my parents always said um you know when you understand how different life can be in other parts of the world or even our country you know, it gives you a better perspective of, of what you can do uh, in your own community. So, you know, that was that was one thing I, I, I remember as a kid is being able to see a country bit by bit over the course of several years. And, and Brian, a lot of people who are lucky enough to go to your part of Canada, Iqaluit, talk about what an impact it has on them. Um, describe for me one place in Canada that you visited on one of those road trips that had an impact on you. Uh, well, I'm from Rankin Inlet, Nunavut. So for me, seeing the mountains in BC were, was, was quite spectacular. Um, from my part of the world where I grew up, you know, it, it's relatively flat land and, and seeing the mountains from the Pacific Ocean up going towards Calgary, that was probably one of my favorite stints through, through our series of vacations. That's terrific, Brian. Thank you very much uh, for calling. And just a reminder of how how different our country can be from place to place to place and, and how terrific it is to experience that as a Canadian, to see other parts of, of the country that we share. Uh, let's go to Earl Andrusiak, who is in Parksville, British Columbia. Hi, Earl. Hi. And uh, what's your uh, great Canadian vacation story? Well, 20 years ago, I retired and bought a Class A motorhome. We've traveled throughout Canada, been to every 48 state in the lower 48 Mm -hmm. with the motorhome, crossed the country six times. But the one thing that stands out the most is our trip to Cape Breton Island to the Celtic Colors Festival. Hmm. Just outstanding. We went for three days. We stayed for nearly two weeks. It was out of this world. The uh, the colors of the trees, the the people, the the music, the entertainment, the Graham Bell Museum, the uh, Celtic Gaelic College. There, we managed to stay at the Glenora Distillery. Uh, it's a single malt distillery. There, it was just uh, one thing we'll never forget. Even though we've uh, put on two hundred thousand kilometers on the motorhome and have spent uh, nearly four thousand nights in it. That's interesting because, I mean, all the places you've seen and the place you're from, Parksville, is beautiful in its own right. And there are a lot of people from across country, across the country who have visited where you are. Um, okay, so Cape Breton, Celtic Festival, a highlight. Um, tell me one other Canadian experience that as you look back at, as you traveled on your motorhome, really stuck out for you. Well, throughout northern Ontario, we've done every route, every Canadian route through there, and uh, just the 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 scenery, uh, the you know the rocks and the trees and the solitude out there, uh, that was really outstanding. Up to uh, 
North Bay and in around that area. I know that BC is beautiful, of course, mm-hmm. but this is you know this is a, something different for us to see, and particularly when the colors are out in the fall. One hundred percent, that is true. Um, and sometimes in in Vancouver, at least, uh, we don't get a real appreciation uh-huh. of what those fall colors are like, right? Not the same. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right, Earl, thank you very much for calling. Right. Thank you. Bye. It's time for Ask Me Anything on COVID subvariants and vaccines and what to expect this fall. Health officials in British Columbia have confirmed the first known Canadian case of a highly mutated variant of COVID-19. Back to school on the horizon and the potential for another wave of flu, RSV and COVID. Similar to what we saw last fall, there is some concern in the health community. I wonder now that we've gone through so many variants, whether these original uh, round of tests are still valid. So as we've all learned, viruses continue to mutate, and that is happening in Canada. As you just heard, the first known case of the BA 2.86 variant was detected in British Columbia, and that's raised questions about what's next with COVID in this country. So has wastewater analysis. So have uh, various reports that are coming from the United States and other parts of the world about what's happening with COVID. So Dr. Zane Chagla very kindly has agreed to give us some of his long weekend to take your calls and provide answers. He's an infectious diseases physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare, which is a hospital in Hamilton. He's also an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University. You can ask him anything COVID-related by calling us at 1-888-416-8333, 1-888-416-8333. Dr. Chagla, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, thanks for having me, Ian. Let's start with the new variant. Health officials in British Columbia said in a statement, uh, and here's a quote, there doesn't seem to be increased severity with this new strain. Um, what should we know about this variant? Still very early days. Uh, so this was discovered a couple of weeks ago. And, and you know, around the world, people who do sequencing, so looking at the genetic code of, of the viruses circulating, how we discover variants, um, upload them to large international databases. And so one sequence popped out of Denmark that looked very different. It was very close to BA2. And so BA2, as you remember, was the Omicron variant that circulated in around March, April of 2022, kind of disappeared when newer variants took over. And then, you know, this the sequence showed up that looked very much as if it had dropped off the family tree in that and, and showed up very later. It was a concerning because... There's a number of mutations that made it very different than BA2. And in fact, the number of mutations we're talking about is almost the difference between the original virus and Omicron to, you know, Omicron to this virus that we see out there. But the the odd thing was it didn't seem to be um, uh, localized to a single place. Uh, as more people started looking, uh, particularly places that have access to good sequencing, like ourselves in Canada, the United States, the United Kingdom, Denmark, Israel, uh, they started finding it. And they started finding it in people that had not traveled, suggesting it had probably been on our soil for some time and circulating around the world. There is concern that these these mutations may lead to more antibody evasion. But a couple of things that have come up recently, number one is that we're looking at many of these cases 
Um, they're being identified as people that just had surveillance testing who are mildly symptomatic. Uh, and so no suggestion of an increase in severity. Number two, a, a couple of preprints that have shown up, one suggesting that although this may evade immunity a little bit better, um, that the ability for this virus to actually get into cells is actually a bit worse than currently circulating variants. And that might explain why it really hasn't taken off as fast as we would expect. And the third is, you know, even some data that, that was uh, looked at a, a day or so ago suggesting that there may be still some cross-antibody formation with some of the variants circulating now. So, you know, the, the good news being that potentially that vaccines, especially the updated vaccines, will continue to work. People that have recently had an infection may not be reinfected. Uh, and that, you know, again, that that it's kind of around the world and it's not really causing an epidemic spread. Much more current variants seem to be causing a, a growth that we're seeing across the world, but not particularly this. Yeah, this your answer reminds me of talking to Dr. Lenora Saxinger, I think it was about three weeks ago, when she too came in for an Ask Me Anything. And, and like her, you're giving these very clear, complete complex answers, which I really appreciate. And I'm just thinking for somebody who might be, I don't know, uh, in their kitchen right now or driving, <laughs> listening to the show and they're kind of, uh, what exactly did he say there? They can go to our CBC Listen app or listen online uh, because the answer is, is you know, complicated in a good way, right? Really complete. And they can listen. So maybe, you know, the, the sort of radio announcer in me wants to ask this follow-up question, and so I shall, uh, which is, how concerned are you about this variant? I think more data needs to be out there. I mean, I, I will say it's it's incredible that we're getting this amount of information this quickly, you know, really with the discovery two weeks ago, that, you know, places have been able to look at their wastewater and say that there has been local circulation. And that's really, again, a technology that's come to the forefront over the last couple of years. Um, I think, you know, in the grand scheme, there was some concern early. The more we're identifying, it seems to be around the world, but it doesn't seem to be doing a lot. And you know, again, I think the, the bigger concern is what's going on in the day-to-day -day world right now rather than this. But, you know, we'll have to see how the future holds and, and if this kind of takes off as, as more and more cases start accumulating. All right. Well, speaking of the day-to-day -day world, and I should say we're going to go to uh, calls in just a moment. We're getting lots of people who are reaching us various ways uh, with questions for Dr. Zane Chagla on COVID. 1-888-416-8333 is the number you can call if you'd like to be on the show and ask Dr. Chagla a question. You can contact us via cbc.ca slash aircheck or text us at 226-758-8924. Dr. Chagla, I'm going to go to, to some of those uh, questions in a moment, but I want to ask you one other thing. So, you know, kind of real world um, issues here. Uh, traditionally in the fall, as we spend more time together indoors, uh, we tend to see a rise in, in respiratory infections. So we've got COVID, we've got RSV, a, a virus primarily affecting children, but not exclusively affecting children, um, and the influenza. Uh, you see patients in hospital, you're also part of your hospital's pandemic planning. What kind of conversations are you guys having about this coming season? Yeah, I mean, 2019, prior to the pandemic, we knew influenza and RSV season was a tough season. And it's because we, you know, admit patients that decompensate from these diseases. Some of them are very frail, but some of them are actually relatively healthy. And, and again, we have to support them through. And it's just an additional pressure on top of the background pressures. Now we've thrown COVID in the mix. Um, although, again, you know, the, the outcomes for most of the population are good. We do expect there's going to be some pressure from it. We have influenza, we have RSV, 
We have, uh, you know, the other circulating respiratory viruses, which also circulate in the season that can push people over the edge. And so I think, you know, much of our planning is around how do we make sure capacity is there? How do we make sure that we're connected through the community? So hospitals talk to long-term care facilities, work with public health, work with primary care, make sure people have access to, you know, what they need to, to, to get through the season. Um, and recognizing that we're going to deal with some increased capacity, but really trying our best to to make sure that the system is balanced and that things like surgeries and elective work keeps on going. And and it, it is a new reality, but at the same time, I think there's lots of innovations, lots of crosstalk, lots of collaboration, lots of innovation that's happened. Um, and so, you know, I think that's it. We're just, you know, planning on the worst case scenario, but at the same time, really trying to prioritize making sure that the healthcare system stays stable and people have access to good care throughout the, the uh, respiratory season. Dr. Zane Chagla is an infectious disease specialist and you can ask him anything. And so let's go to the phone lines now. Cheris Kelso is in Toronto. Hi, Cheris. Hi, Ian. Uh, what's your question for Dr. Chagla? Uh, so I'm um, a high school teacher and we start classes on Tuesday. And I'm just wondering about the efficacy of a few students and a few members of staff wearing masks uh, versus, you know, a time when we were all wearing them. Um, is there still value um, for the, the very small minority that are still doing masks if the majority aren't? Yeah, great question. Dr. Chagla? So really good question. And so I would I will still say that one-way masking with a good high-quality fitted mask that that stays on your face and stays in uh, you know above your nose and mouth um you know still provides really good protection. Remember, we're still seeing covid patients. That's our line of defense to start, you know, uh, to to deal with them is is wearing a mask. Uh, as part of that interaction. And so it still provides protection to the user on an individual basis. And certainly if you, you know, want to use it as an additional layer of protection, it's it's a great way to do it. You know, from a population standpoint, obviously there was a, a benefit, a small benefit. And, a, you know, again, it, it was there with population-based masking in the context of everyone wearing a mask and, and offering a bit of source control. But at the same time, I think if you, you know, if you wear a good, high quality fitted mask as part of your prevention pathway, you know, you're doing what a healthcare worker essentially would do. And and again, you know, uh, lower your exposure risk in that sense. So even if, you know, it's not perfect, it's uh, it's still really useful if you want to do it. And again, you know, if you're if you're using it in that setting, particularly when, you know, the students start getting respiratory viruses, it's a it's a useful intervention, even if it's one way. Yeah. Cheris, do you you have a follow up at all? Uh, no, just um, thank you very much, and uh, let's hope we can all stay safe. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think we all agree with that. You know, Dr. Chagla, um, during the, the height of the pandemic, people were super careful in lots of ways, including, you know, when they were sick, you know, taking great precautions. And and I, I feel like that's slipping now. Uh, and so, you know, I was uh, at a, an airport the other day and somebody's coughing, coughing, coughing at the gate. And I was thinking, man, like, I, I don't think that person would have gotten away with that uh, a couple of years before. <laughs> I mean, mas- masking is a big contentious issue and complicated and will probably come up again in the AMA. But let's put that aside for a moment. What about the, the sort of... Uh, pandemic uh, kind of uh, guideline of staying home if you're sick. I assume that's still pretty important. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I, I realize people are done with this and, and you know, I, and they want to go back to life as normal. There are simple things, though. That's the, the, the reality is that, you know, we have come into a place where coming to work while sick 
you know, is is more frowned upon than it was in 2019, recognizing that it's an easy intervention. If you're able to stay at home or if not, you know, wear a mask while your symptoms are ongoing. Similarly, you know, for those uh, individuals, um, you know, for everyone washing their hands and, and, you know, not only the protection of COVID along with masking, but um, the protection from other respiratory viruses and other pathogens that may transmit during the season. Um, and, you know, again, for for those folks out there staying up to date with their immunizations, you know, including the COVID immunization, which I'm sure is going to show up, the influenza immunization, um, and, you know, the new RSV immunization for certain populations that will be offered likely in this uh, fall. And a reminder, again, that, you know, for, for people who are particularly vulnerable, taking all those steps helps, making sure that you, you know, get tested when you have COVID or have COVID symptoms because it's a pathway to treatment. Um, you know, it still helps. And so we really do still have a, a big toolbox that that's there for folks to to protect them from COVID-19. It's up to people to, you know, access them. But at the same time, you know, we really can make sure that most people still have good outcomes just doing pretty simple things in that sense. Yeah. And, and you know, to that point about the testing, again, is something I hadn't really thought about. And Dr. Saxinger mentioned it a few weeks ago on this program, a reminder that, you know, if you get tested, you test positive, uh, you can get, you know, some antiviral treatments that uh, have really been a game changer. But who is it that should in particular uh, be looking at, uh, at at those kinds of treatments uh, if they do test positive, Dr. Chagla? Yeah, absolutely. So big risk factors are age. So, you know, different provinces have different criteria, but somewhere between 60 and 70 um, if people are, you know, in those risk groups who haven't been immunized recently or had an infection recently, that puts them even at higher risk. Uh, people with multiple comorbidities, things like diabetes, cardiac disease, liver disease, kidney disease, uh, neurologic disease, um, that can put them at higher risk. And then finally, uh, people who live in long-term care where there's a, you know, a frailty factor associated with that and people who are immunocompromised. And, and that is really a big group that, the advent of treatments and useful treatments has really, really reduced the risk of hospitalization along with vaccinations. And so, you know, again, it's a simple intervention. Most provinces now have, you know, direct to pharmacy prescribing. Uh, and so, you know, those people who are at high risk, it's it's not a big deal. You know, you get your plan in place, you have your tests in place, you get up to date with your vaccines. Uh, and then, you know, when you do develop symptoms, you just know where to go at that point to to uh, to get treatment. And and again, the outcomes are, are very, very good in, in those individuals. But the window, I guess, to start taking that antiviral or those antivirals is, is fairly limited, right? Like earlier on in the pandemic, I think I heard within five days, of infection? Yeah. Where are we at right now? With no, sim similarly with Paxlovid, which is the, yeah. the major kind of drug, it's five days. And so, mm -hmm. you know, what I, what I talked to folks about is if you're in that high risk category, first of all, look to your to provincial re um, recommendations to see if you're high risk, but do the planning beforehand. Don't do it when you get COVID, right? Get your test, know how to do a test, know who you're going to call when you get a positive result, know how to get access to the treatment. You could do that well before the, the development of symptoms so that that five days is very preserved, basically. So it's not a big barrier in the sense that as long as it's planned out, people can still access treatment appropriately. It's really just recognizing the symptoms are there, getting a test and then finding someone to, to prescribe it. Yeah, great advice. Dr. Zane Chagla here to answer your questions about uh, COVID related issues. Let's go to a caller in Vancouver, Ann Murray. Hi, Ann. Are you there, Ann? No. Um, okay, let's go to, uh, we'll come back to, to Anne when we get that uh, sorted out. Uh, Sheila McLaurin is in Cars, Ontario. Hi, Sheila. 
Hi, hello to you both. Yeah. Following up on your comments about testing, uh, Dr. Iris Gorfinkel, who's a regular CBC health columnist, was interviewed uh, recently, and she referenced with regards to rapid home tests that if you were using it the way it was originally designed to be used, you would not generate enough of a virus sample. And she referenced the recommendation of the then Ontario Science Advisory Table, that which she refers to as the 5 by 5 rule, that you need to swab both sides between your gums, lower um, mouth, both sides between your gum and teeth, your the back of your throat, and deep in both nostrils. And then you have a chance of generating enough of a virus sample. And she said that if your first test was negative, to repeat it within two days. And some of the reasons she gave was to be able to access Paxlovid within the five-day window and also to reduce the possibility of spread, but also to be able to accurately evaluate your risk for potential uh, long COVID. Mm -hmm. And so what's your question, Sheila, for Dr. Chagla? I'm interested in his comments about the use of the rapid home test in this way. Mm -hmm. Dr. Chagla? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, as you said, it's actually, you know, quite right what you had mentioned, usually say back of the throat, kind of both sides of the tonsils, both nostrils, you know, make sure you're getting a lot of tissue with that, not just kind of in the dead space. But there was great data actually from uh, the, a colleague of mine that many of you know, Lisa Barrett uh, in, in Halifax, that, that you know, suggested that the positivity rate is a bit higher in people that are positive when they do, again, more tissue in the mouth and both nares or nostrils, uh, and then doing the test. The other thing I would say is if you haven't done a test before, do it beforehand so that you know what a negative looks like, how to do a test, and, and not in the moment of, you know, when you're sick to try to figure out how to do it properly. Um, and agreed, you know, the, the, the recommendation is to repeat testing, usually in someone that's symptomatic, three tests over 48 hours based on some data from the United States, usually kind of correlates whether or not this is really COVID, especially if you're symptomatic versus, you know, another respiratory virus, which could very much replicate symptoms, especially in this day and age. But yeah, absolutely great advice. And, and again, making sure that particularly if people have not used these rapid tests or not used them in a while, Make sure you do one beforehand when you're feeling great, just so you know what you're doing and how to troubleshoot it if you if you don't know what you're doing in that sense. All right, let's go to that question from uh, a listener in Vancouver, Anne Murray, and her, her question, Dr. Chagla, is, and I'll just read it here, will there be an alternative to an mRNA shot for those who are unable to take mRNA shots for immune reasons? Yeah, so uh, this is uh, exciting, but, you know, as we will get updated vaccines directed to the XBB variant in Moderna and Pfizer vaccines, um, Novavax, which is a, a create, uh, has a vaccine that's protein-based, um, so kind of more towards a traditional vaccine model, um, will also be updating its vaccine. So the Novavax vaccine has actually been available in Canada for a few years. It came in a little bit after the mRNA vaccine, so there wasn't a big um uh, uh calling for it but um there will be an updated novavax uh, xbb vaccine that they will be submitting to health canada it's still to see whether or not it'll be approved um but that will be an alternative that is a protein based vaccine and 
at least, you know, hopefully based on some of the data from Novavax uh, prior to, to Omicron emergence, you know, would hopefully be an effective vaccine as a booster. And, and certainly there is some booster data for Novavax with prior vaccines to suggest it does a fairly good job at doing that. One eight 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 four one six eight three three three. If you have a question for Dr. Zane Chagla that's COVID related, you can contact us this way as well. CBC.ca/slash/aircheck. Log on and uh, you can make a comment or ask a question, and you can also text us two two six seven five eight eight nine two four. Sue Borland is in Sherwood Park, Alberta, and she's on the phone. Hi, Sue. Hello. Uh, what's your question for Dr. Chagla? Well, um, I just, uh, I got um, COVID on Monday last, and um, I just tested negative on Saturday, and uh, I'm wondering that I had COVID before last year, and I lost my sense of smell and taste, which never came back, and I'm wondering now if, uh, since I've got the second one, or I just had the second one, if I am now, um, if that means I have long COVID, and I mean, nobody seems to be terribly interested in long COVID when it's things, just not very important seeming things like losing your sense of taste and smell, but it's kind of an awful thing not to have, you know? Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if uh, if uh, the doctor had any, any uh, suggestions about that. The other thing I would like to say just quickly is that Paxlovid, which my doctor um, prescribed for me, and I and I've just I've got one more day to go with it. It really made a huge difference to to the severity of uh, COVID. Last year I was had about two weeks of uh, really bad pain and so forth, uh, but this time it was I feel much better. Yeah, I'm I'm on day uh, I guess day seven of my of uh, of the experience, as it were, except I'm no longer COVID uh, positive. Yeah. And so, Sue, you, you, you hit the, the phone accidentally just when you said when you first tested positive. Was that last Wednesday? I, I tested positive on Monday. On Monday. Okay. Yes. A- and, and I'm then, now testing negative. And when did you start taking Paxlovid? On Wednesday. Fantastic, right? Like that's... that's yeah, uh, it's uh, a five-day five yeah. day thing. Yeah, but they, they, you managed to get, you know, start taking it so soon after uh, that first uh, positive uh, test, I think, you know. My, sound... my Dr. Gooley here in uh, Sherwood Park phoned me at 11.30 at night to talk to me and get a prescription for me. I, I was amazed. Wow. That's yeah. great. Well, I'm glad you shouted out the doctor's name because, uh, yes. yeah, that's uh, that's Dr. fantastic. Dr. Mark Gooley. Okay. All right. <laughs> well, well, <laughs> well, yeah, no kidding. A call at 1130 to a patient uh, is, is yes. uh, fantastic. Um, so, <laughs> you know what, Sue, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put your question to uh, Dr. Chagla, but I think maybe break it up into two different things. And so, Dr. Chagla, first of all, Sue has not had uh, smell or taste since she first tested positive for uh, COVID uh, maybe a year ago. Um, and so she's kind of wondering what's what's the prognosis uh, in terms of of the of being able to smell things and taste things. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a symptom that we saw you know particularly prior to Omicron, although still exists prior to post Omicron in that sense. Some people do get their taste and smell back, but it takes time for for a number of individuals. There is a little bit of rehabilitative therapy. And and so, you know, it sounds like you have a great primary care physician. And so there may be some ways to to get access to that. It's not perfect and it can get some people back, but it may not be be great. 
Um, but you know, it, the, the prognosis is good for most. Uh, nausea is a symptom that tends to stick around a little bit more. And so some people may be left with some degree of it. Um, it is disconcerting to some people for sure, but there are, you know, more, there is a lot of research in this field to, to really see what can be done to kind of regenerate those pathways and get people smelling and tasting properly again. And let's talk about long COVID. I see, especially on social media, lots of concerns about long COVID, um, complaints that the media are not paying enough attention to long COVID. Um, Do we even know, like, is there a clinical definition of what long COVID is and data on how many people are, uh, have it? Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a complex question, but I would say, you know, long COVID is defined as persistent symptoms that are unexplained by another reason uh, three or months later after that COVID diagnosis. And so it is a pretty broad definition. Uh, you know, we we see a, a huge variety of things. Early in the pandemic, we had post-acute COVID from people that were critically ill and and they didn't recover, uh, you know, fully back to steam. And, and even some of those folks I still see today that are still suffering from that COVID in 2020. We see people who are generally, you know, well, who had a pretty mild COVID infection, but have persistent symptoms like anosmia, fatigue, brain fog, muscle aches, rashes, you know, a number of other manifestations. Um, and then, you know, in my clinical experience, we also see folks that that maybe the COVID unmasked or, um, you know, the access to healthcare has been not great. And, and there's been underlying disease states that really did need to be managed. And, and there was another explanation. All to say, you know, long COVID is real. It does, you know, affect people. It, it causes suffering. When we look at studies really trying to control those, so this is the, the most important part, is the literature evolves. There's very different ways it's measured. When we look at the control group, so the number of people who test negative or who are followed you know, longitudinally through the pandemic, who are compared to those people who had COVID-19, the differences are not as big as we think. It may be a few percent higher, so the risk, you know, a few percent for infection. We see sur- survey studies from 10 to 30 to 40 percent. But again, in those studies, the people that respond tend to be the ones that are suffering in that sense. And so you may not get an accurate gauge of the population. There's a lot of work in this field. There's a lot of work to find out mechanisms, looking at things like persistent viral infection, immune activation, clotting, um, neurologic factors, mitochondrial and metabolic factors. Um, So it is an emerging field and lots of grants that have gone out to this. And so, you know, hopefully we could discover more and more and, and start kind of putting people into categories to really get to appropriate rehabilitation for their symptoms. All right, Dr. Shagla, thank you. Let's go to uh, a question that I thought was going to come up a little earlier, a really important one from Maureen Pecknold in Guelph, Ontario. Hi, Maureen. Hi. Uh, Thank you very much for calling in. What's your question for Dr. Zane Shagla? Oh, thank you, doctor. I'm just wondering if we're going to get a booster for the COVID vaccine this fall, is it better to go ahead and do it now before everybody starts getting this new variant or is it better to wait until they've got the vaccines that address this variant? Yeah, absolutely. So I don't think we're going to see a vaccine to BA 2.86. It's going to take a little bit of time to go through that pathway. The current vaccines that are kind of going through the production cycle are against the XBB variant. So the one, you know, that started circulating December, January last year, many of the current variants are descendants from that. So again, the the vaccines seem to have good responses to that. Um, I would say for most individuals, because the vaccine is likely going to come towards the end of this month or early next month, it's probably worth it to wait to that point because, again, the update in protection is probably a whole lot better with this vaccine than what's currently on the market. There are a few kind of exceptions, especially people who are 
you know, about to have chemotherapy tomorrow, about to have a kidney transplant tomorrow, where their immune system is going to be compromised for a significant amount of time, uh, that they may want to go get the current vaccine that's available for some protection, whether immune system is active, rather than waiting and waiting and waiting until, you know, that process is settled out where it may be weeks, months, or even years before they can kind of have a normal immune response. So, you know, bottom line, most people should wait. Again, the, the very few that are at highest risk uh, or, or impending immune suppression should consider getting it now. But, uh, you know, the hope is that, that we'll have this really soon and, again, uh, will be distributed pretty effectively. All right. Dr. Chagla, we have just one minute left. Let me ask you this general question. You are not just a doctor. You are also a father. And, uh, and you know, you, you have to, just like the rest of us, navigate how to stay safe. And so as we head into the fall, as we see the wastewater analysis numbers suggesting that, you know, maybe more COVID cases now than there were before, um, 45 seconds here, what sort of general advice do you have for us? Yeah, I mean, it's the same stuff, right? You know, stay home when sick wash hands, you know, consider wearing a mask in high density places, um, you know, getting tested when appropriate, especially if you're accessing therapy, make sure you access therapy. And, you know, again, I think most of us will get through this season fine. It's just really, you know, doing those easy things to, to make sure that uh, we, we just give an extra simple layer of protection for everything. Well, from the complicated science answers to the straightforward, easy-to-follow advice, Dr. Chagla, it's fantastic hearing from you, and I really appreciate you giving us a half hour on this Sunday afternoon. Take care. Dr. Zane Chaglin, infectious diseases physician at St. Joseph's Healthcare, uh, which is a hospital in Hamilton. He's also an associate professor of medicine at McMaster University. That's it for Checkup, the podcast this week. You've been listening to Cross Country Checkup's live broadcast on CBC Radio from September 3rd, 2023. If you'd like to share comments or appear on the show, you can go to cbc.ca slash aircheck. Thanks to everyone who helped this week. Our phone screeners are Hannah Abrahamzi, Kiata Greco, and Katrina McGaughy. Our TV team is Caleb Isaac, Frankie Fiorini, Rachel DeGasperis, Brendan Sylvia, Ivana Stoyanovic, and Sean Foss. Technical production and editing from Emily Chiarvesio and Matthias Wolfson. Program assistant is Chuck Molgat. Cross-country checkup produced this week by Ruksar Ali, Abby Plender and Steve Howard. Our digital producer is Paul Hanchiak. The senior producer of the program is Richard Goddard. I'm Ian Hanamansing in Vancouver. The next edition of Checkup, the podcast, will be posted after the live show next Sunday. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.